comes from. And in verse 31 of Romans chapter 8, it says this, what shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? You know, the word if here that Paul uses does not denote doubt. It actually is more of a conclusion, a a consequence, an affirmation. In fact, a better translation would be, since God is for us, who can be against us? However, the reality is, is remember what preceded that verse. It says, according to these things. Well, if you go earlier in Romans... There are actually several things that are against us. But what this passage is saying is that since God is for us, these things will not be successful against us. And so just to get you up to steam with the rest of the region, let's just briefly look. What are the things that are against us? We see in Romans 8 verse 1, condemnation. What is that? That, That's our present state without grace before God. That's against us. Romans 8, 2, sin. As Steve already mentioned, we're all sinners here, right? Sin is against us. And Romans 8, 8, let's go a little deeper, a little more personal. Sinful nature. That's our self wanting to please oneself rather than wanting to please God. That is against us. Romans 8, 18, sufferings. No one is exempt from these. There's emotional suffering, there's physical suffering, there's financial suffering. There's suffering in so many different ways that can affect us individually, collectively, a country, a nation, a city, a school. Romans 8.21, decay. Those of us who are over 40, we understand this one. We're actually dying all the time. Decay, it's against us. You know, I, I was a, you know, a collegiate runner in my past. I, I can't run that fast anymore. I need to, to stretch before and after. I've got to take rest days. It, decay, it's, it's seriously, anyone agree? Yeah, okay, you youngins, enjoy it. Enjoy it while you can. Romans eight twenty two, pain. There's suffering, but then there's actual pain. That could be a pain in the heart, a pain that's physical. Comes with so many different aspects. And then Romans 8.26, weakness is against us. All these things are against us. But since God is for us, they don't have to be successful against us. And so what we've done is we've continued the series since the beginning of the year. Is we've looked at stories in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, where it shows that God is for his people. And simultaneously, When God's people, and sometimes not, are for him. And what do those lessons mean for us? Because we are facing these things that are against us, and we want to be victorious as them. You know, for those who don't know, I'm currently seeking a Master's of Arts in Christian Ministry uh, through Abilene Christian uh, University's online program. And uh, my first course is called the Christian Missions and Expansion in the First Most Weeks. Uh, I'm on my fourth week now, so please pray for me. Uh, I'll tell you, though, reading this history, actual history, it's amazing how rich, dramatic, surprising it is. On one side, you see the incredible zeal, the courage, and missionary focus. 
And yet on the other, you see greed and apostasy and division and plays for power bring down the church. But the most remarkable that I've seen through all the weeks that we've studied and the different histories that we've read is the incredible, incredible confidence of Christians, your average, everyday follower of Jesus, that under severe persecution and even the face of death did not waver. There are incredible accounts of persecution beginning in Jerusalem, heading on to Rome, later in Persia, which is now Iran, India, China, and even during the rise of Islam, what, what used to be the most Christian, highest Christian percentage in the world became the most highest Muslim percentage. A very interesting history. But one in particular comes to account. It's from the book of the Himyarites, and this is what it's quoting as saying. A man of Nahran was stopped on the road by the invaders. These are the Muslim invaders taking over Persia. Are you a Christian? Yes. Then hold up your right hand. He held it up, and they cut it off. They asked him again, Are you a Christian? Yes. Then hold up your other hand. And immediately with joy, the account says, he held up his left hand, and it too was cut off. Now, are you still a Christian, they asked him. And he said firmly, yes, in life and death, I am a Christian. Whereupon they cut off his feet and left him there to die, but still a Christian. You guys, we are not in connection enough with what our brothers and sisters experience to bring us what we have today. And yet, the reality is, is there are Christians even in today's society and some of our more dangerous areas of the world that face this same kind of persecution. How much for, for how much less do we waver? For what little petty things do we give up our faith? I'm, I, am, I am just judged by these examples, condemned by these examples, because I begin to ask myself, if I were in their shoes... Would I be so joyful and faithful in the face of death? See, it makes me ask this question is, how did they do it? How did they remain so confident, so joyful, so faithful in the face of death? But see, that's not the right question. To understand how, you must first understand why. Why were they willing? And only then were we going to understand how they did it. But by answering that question... We will also see how God is for his faithful. Let's beginning by going to the hall of faith, Hebrews chapter 11. But that verse is preceded by something. You know, so often when we read the Bible, we love certain verses, but if you really want to understand the context, you got to learn to read what's before, and you got to learn to read what's after, amen? And so right before this incredible account of the hall of faith, we find these verses, Hebrews 10, verse 37. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. You know, that's one of the things that was very interesting as I studied the history of Christianity is how many of them believed that the Lord would return in their day. And that created a lot of issues as that day extended. 
But we need to remember that a day to the Lord is like a thousand, and a thousand is like a day. But as we look at our society today, we may not be as far as we think, right? (laughs) But it doesn't matter when that day is. The point is, are we ready for that day? We don't know what day it will be. But it says, but my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. You know, the writer here in Hebrews is quoting the book of Habakkuk from the prophets, where it says the righteous will live by faith. The point being made is that living by faith and shrinking back are diametrically opposed. You can't be one or the, you're either one or the other. So we've got to ask ourselves, even right now, even when our life is relatively free of persecution, free of the judgment that so many of our brothers and sisters face and are facing, are we shrinking back or are we living by faith? What does that really mean? It doesn't go on in this passage to describe what they're shrinking back from. But it is clear God is not pleased with it. He is not pleased with any of his faithful shrinking back. It then goes on to give an incredible treatment of this thought by faith in chapter 11. Let's read in verse 1. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Now that we connect those two passages, maybe this helps us to determine what shrinking back really is. Answer these questions to find out. Are you living right now for what you hope for and do not see? Or are you living for what you have and do see? Because I think how you answered those questions may determine whether you're shrinking back or not. If we're focused more on here, this world, this life, then we're shrinking back. But we're looking at the future, an eternity, a new home. Then we're living by faith. That's the only thing that helped me understand. How did this man go, yes, I'm a Christian. Whoosh. Yes, I'm a Christian. Whoosh. Is because he was certain of what he did not see. This is not my home. I love America, but America is not my home. I love this earth and what it can provide, but it's not my home. This is not our home. And you know how we really believe that? Based on how you react to what's going on in the world. I know the political debate, I know all the societal issues and things like that, but you got to ask yourselves, if you react, if you, if you want to get on your pulpit, get on Facebook, it shows you're more focused on now than before, to where we really need to be focused. If you get caught up in all that stuff, and you're worried about it, or it's discouraging you, or it's making you think, like many say, I'm moving to Canada, then you're focused on here. I don't need to move to Canada because that's not my home either. I don't need to move to Russia. That's not my home. I can stay right where I am no matter what's going on around me because even if it all falls terribly wrong 
and they put the wrong person in charge, they're going to end. One day they'll end. So let's stop freaking out. Because when we freak out, we show we don't believe in heaven. We've got to believe in the future. Faith looks forward. Shrinking looks back. You know, throughout chapter 11, by faith is stated 23 times. And the right we know, Noah, Abraham, Moses, Gideon, Samson, David, Samuel. But it also mentions some less known. Abel, Enoch, Rahab, Barak, Jephthah, and even Moses' parents. But today I want to focus on just one aspect of these amazing individuals of God that really all of them are connected to. And that's really the theme of this message. This is not our home. Hebrews 11, verse 13. All these people were still living by faith, When they die. That's the goal, guys. I don't know when you're going to die. Maybe the Lord will return before you do. But the point is, we got to be living by faith up to that point. They were commended for that. But look what it said. They did not receive the things promised. Think about that for a minute. Let that sink in. They live by faith till they die. And they did not receive the things they were promised. How many of us, when we don't feel like God's fulfilled his promises, we give up our faith? We waver. We shrink back. We think God's not faithful. No, he is totally faithful. God is for us. The question is, are we for him? They didn't receive it this because this isn't home. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have opportunity to return. Is there a country that you're thinking of returning to? Your old life? Is that really what you want? I want a new country. One that doesn't have all this drama. One that doesn't have pain and disunity and segregation. Rich and poor. I I want a place that we're all equal before God. Where we love each other. That's what I want. If they had been thinking of the country they left, they would have opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country. A heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared a city for them. How did this Christian... Go, yes, I'm a Christian. Because he he knew this wasn't his home. It's like, you can take my life. But you'll never take our freedom, right? (laughs) Love that line. No, it's, you can take my life, but you'll never take my home. My home is set. Did you catch that verse? It says, they are looking for a city that has been prepared, past tense. It's already done. It's completed. Heaven is a reality. It's not just something in the present. It's not just something in the past. It's not just something in the future. It's already ready for us, waiting for us to be a part of it. Of course, you go, okay, I I get that. It's city prepared. No, no, you, you really don't get it. You go on to Revelations 21. I won't have time to read the whole account. It starts to describe this new city. 
It's called the New Jerusalem. Now, fortunately, we can translate what stadias are. You realize this city is described in Revelations, if it's literal, maybe figurative, but nonetheless, it's going to be pretty amazing. But if it's literal, it literally means this city is a cube. And it's literally 1,400 miles wide, 1,400 miles long, 1,400 miles high. With walls that are over 200 feet thick. Do you realize how big a city that is? That would take up square miles, 50% of the continental USA. Now that's pretty amazing. That's a big city. But then you start thinking, well, wait a minute, it's also high. The stratosphere is only 78 miles away. It's the elevator like. You get up to a certain point, and then you're floating in the elevator. I don't know. But we got to start imagining it. How amazing will it be that day when we stand before the gates of the new Jerusalem? Will any of this earth mean a thing? I don't think so. But what will it be like if you're on the other side and you get to see it but never taste it? Because you were focused on this earth. An earth that will pass away, that will burn as refined by fire. Guys, heaven is a reality. He's already prepared it. But you know, we're not done. Jesus has something to add to this city that should encourage us today. John 14, verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. First of all, whenever you're told something like that, just understand that means he assumes already you are. Anyone here have hearts that get troubled? Good, then it's talking to you. You know, it's amazing how as Christians, we think, oh, i got to be perfect, got to be righteous, be faithful, I can't have my hearts troubled. Then why are there so many commands not to be? I, I can't be afraid. Then why does every angel say, don't be afraid? <laughs> we got to accept our humanity, but we don't live for humanity. It says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Trust that God has this city prepared. But also trust in me. Well, why? Look what he says. In my Father's house are many rooms. Well, if this Jerusalem is true, and it's that wide, that long, that high, that means there's literally 600 stories. 600 stories that takes up 50% of America. That's a lot of rooms, right? I bet they're pretty big rooms. I don't think they'll go the 12 feet. Maybe they'll get the 18 feet rooms, man. You get that, Woo! this is awesome. I don't know about you, but if this is literal, I really would love one of those like 600th floors because you're like in space, you know? How cool would that be? I mean, Mount Everest is going to look like an anthill. I mean, that's going to be amazing. He says, if it were not so... Kind of like, if God is for you, since it's so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place. How many thousands of years ago did Jesus ascend to heaven? That's a long time to fix your room. The coolest thing about that, when I really picture this room, you know, it's just like my daughter Emma, you know, that Haley, you know, is officially out in college. She's already planning, ha ha, this room, what can I do with it? But I'm thinking, Jesus knows you. I mean, knows you. He knows your every desire. What is he doing with your room? 
I know some of us, man, there's got to be a grill in there. I mean, there's got to be with great ventilation. Man, we get, oh, it's going to be awesome. Hey, come on over. For others, man, it's going to be like this large screen. But it's like three-dimensional. You can like walk into it or something. And, I, and I'm hoping, that's what I really would love in my room is, is this screen. And then you can just plug any point in real history and watch it live. Would that not be cool? JFK, I'm going to find out right now. Here and now. Here we go. I want to know. Area 51. Okay, let's go check that one out. I mean, this room. He's had thousands of years to prepare it for you. Why are you complaining about this room? That's going to fall apart. Anyone who owns a home, you know it's true. That room's not going to fall apart. You don't need to get redecorating. Jesus got it. He can speak it into existence. How cool is that? But it's not just preparing it. Look what he says. And if I go and prepare a place, if he's going to put in 2,000 years of effort into your room, I will come back and take you to be with me. That you also me be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. How did these Christians do it? It's really, why did they do it? Because they knew this world is not their home. And we need to be the same. Because if we really believe that way, then it doesn't matter what happens in the election. It doesn't matter what happens on the other side of the world. We'll pray. We'll be wise. We'll stand up for injustice. But God's in control. All that will end. But this home that he's talking about, that he's preparing, the city and our room, we need to believe it like it really is true. He shared this in preparing his disciples for his death, resurrection, and ascension. What's the motivation he gives? That this is not our home. That I have a better place. And that you'll be where I am. Where's Jesus right now? He's in your room. Probably a lot cleaner than yours down here. Right? Pretty awesome, I'm sure. We're going to be there with him, which means when we're in heaven... When we're in this new Jerusalem, Jesus is going to be your house guest. He's going to be in your room. Maybe if we thought Jesus was in our room right now, we would live a lot differently. Right? See, if we live like there, here, we'll make it to there. But if we live here for here, we may never make it there. we got to really believe what Jesus has said here. Our new city, our new room is already a reality. Look at this great quote from Randy Alcorn on a book on heaven, if you'd like to know more about heaven. It's very, very encouraging. Satan need not convince us that heaven doesn't exist. He need only convince us that heaven is a place of boring, unearthly existence. If we believe that lie, we'll be robbed of our joy and anticipation. We will set our minds on this life and not the next. And we won't be motivated to share our faith. Why should we share the good news that people can spend eternity in boring, ghostly place that even we are not looking forward to? Is that what Satan has done? That he's made this earth with all its cool stuff and gadgets more incredible than heaven? Is that what we believe? You do if that's where you invest your money. 
You do if that's where you invest your time. You do if that's where you invest your heart. These disciples, they were not afraid of death because death was the only way to get to that place. Death was the only way to get home. It's not the end. It's the beginning, a beginning without end. So how do we do that? Colossians 3, verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ. And if you don't know if you have, don't leave today without asking someone to show you how. That's really, really important. Satan gives us a lot of other possibilities of how to be with Christ that will eventually keep you out of heaven. You need to know from Jesus and from his scriptures and from his word and from his true disciples how to be raised with him. Don't leave without asking for that help. But for you and for us, set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above. Not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Did you catch that? Right now. As you're sitting in your seat, there's a reason why we should never feel complete on earth. And the minute you do feel complete on earth, you should be very, very scared. Because what that passage just said is that through Christ, if you've been raised with him, as the scriptures tell us, that there's a part of us right now in heaven. Because that's where Christ is. We're hidden in Christ. There's a part of us that's already there. And that's why we don't feel complete here. We're waiting to attach to the rest of us. Isn't that amazing? Heaven is a reality right now. There's a part of you waiting to be completed in his presence. I love that. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear in him in glory. So how do we set our hearts and our minds? Look at what the next verse says. Put to death, because that's the only way you're getting there. Therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Guys, we have to take sin seriously. See, when you get this right, when you realize this is not your home, you're not going to be motivated by a fear of hell because of sin. You're going to be more motivated by the desire of, I don't want to miss out on heaven. So this sin means nothing. It's temporary pleasure that has no eternal gain. We need to put it to death. you got to take your sin seriously. I appreciate Todd and Patty so much and how they help our church to take things seriously. Impurity, immorality, lust, these things will destroy us, our marriages, our families. So thankful that they brought in the Wideners for an amazing purity workshop. And I hope if you didn't get to attend, you're going to listen to some of the notes. We need help to put to death these things in our life. But I really like this word set. Set your heart, set your mind. In, in the Greek, zeteo, it says to look for, seek out out, to try to obtain, 
desire to possess, strive for. The same word of set is also used in how the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost in Luke 19, or how the shepherd looked for his sheep in Matthew 18, or a woman searched for a lost coin in Luke 15, or a merchant searched for a fine pearl in Matthew 13. How are you right now seeking and searching to possess heaven? Or are you seeking and pursuing to possess earth? That's a very real question we need to answer. We may someday face the same dangers and persecutions that our early brothers and sisters did. If we don't get this right, if we think this is our home, we will not survive that encounter. I want to be ready. I want to put up my hand and they ask, I'm a Christian, I'm going to say yes. When they say put up the other, I'm going to say yes. And then they ask me if I'm still a Christian, I'm going to say in life or death, yes. That's got to be our conviction. But we won't say that with conviction if we don't believe what he's been telling us, that this is not our home. we got to set both our heart and our mind on things above. Now, I know some of you might think are cynics in the crowd. Well, if I'm so heavenly focused... I'll be no earthly good. Okay? But think of the alternative. If you're so earthly-minded, you'll be no heavenly good. Right? If you're so earthly-minded, you'll be no heavenly good. We need to think about, feel about heaven now. When we study the Bible with people, we're not just inviting them to church. We're inviting them to heaven that ought to change your evangelism. Hey, where where, were you inviting me? Heaven. What? Yeah, heaven. But could you even describe it to them? See, I think so often, guys, we study the Bible, but our motivation's so wrong. It's about being it on earth, when really it's about being in heaven. Repentance is not just turning away, it's turning toward. Toward where? This earth? No. This is not our home. We're turning to heaven, amen? We're going to do, we got to put to death those things that keep our minds and our hearts here on earth. That's why Jesus came. So as we prepare our hearts for communion, I'd love to read this passage because this is what I want us to think about. This is why Jesus came and died and raised again and ascended and is preparing your room and is waiting to bring you there. Let's close with Revelations 21. Then I saw a new heaven. What? Well, what do you mean new? Where do we go when we die? That's a good question, isn't it? If you actually look biblically, there's three heavens. There's Eden. There's a heaven we go to as faithful disciples when we die. And then there's the new one. That's the one we're talking about. That's the home. It says a new heaven and a new earth. What? Wait a minute. See, guys, we, we somehow think that earth and heaven are separated. That's not biblical. Even in the beginning, God was where? On earth, in Eden. God doesn't need heaven. He was outside of that. He created it. But he chooses to be in it with us. Where's heaven going to be? On earth. What? I thought we'd go up. You might temporarily, 
until the new one is coming down. It says the city will come down on a new earth. What is a new earth with no sin going to look like? Because, I mean, even this earth in a fallen state is pretty amazing. What is a new earth going to look like? Do you really want to live for this earth? The decaying, falling apart, killing it earth? Or a new earth? For the first seven and the first earth have passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I don't know what that's about. Maybe because, you know, that big of city could pretty much land in the sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is well with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Guys, imagine that. Those of us who just in the recent year have lost loved ones. How painful that is. Death sobers us all. But guys, in this new heaven, in this new earth, in this new city, and in our new room, there is no death. There is no pain. There is no mourning. There is no suffering. As we take the cup and we remember what Jesus accomplished, it wasn't just to die, it was to raise again, to prepare a room, to bring us home. Because this earth is not our home. How? Did the Christian of the past and even present face persecution with such confidence? I think it's because they recognized this earth was not their home. But why were they willing to do it? Because they believed there is a new and eternal home that has already been prepared. Do not shrink back. What do we learn? Is God for us? Oh, yes. How do we know God is for us? Because he has prepared, past tense, it exists, it's real, a city for all of us. And Jesus is still preparing a room. But how are we going to show we are for God? By focusing our heart and mind on things above. By putting to death whatever belongs to our earthly nature. As we pray, let's pray with confidence and let's say this together right now. This is not our home. Repeat with me. This is not our home. Let us pray.